You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. The 186th episode of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you have found this year podcast. It's the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Gadet. You can find the podcast on social media with varying degrees of activity. At PXPCast, you can find me at Joel Godet or shoot me an email, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Sports! We have them. They're coming back. We'll see how this goes. The NBA is starting up. Well, players are, I guess, starting to do things, but uh, in about a month's time from now, we'll have NBA in Disney World. Uh, baseball is happening. I was really stoked because I'm going to visit my parents uh, they live in the East Coast, not far from Pawtucket, and uh, the Pawtucket Red Sox had been doing this thing where you could eat dinner on the field at McCoy Stadium, which will no longer be the stadium for the Paw Sox, who will cease to exist uh, going forward. They're moving to Worcester. Um, so I was like, this will be cool. Like, We'll do this thing. I'll, we'll get to eat on the, the outfield or the infield of McCoy Stadium for dinner one night. Uh, they're not doing that this coming weekend uh, be- because... Because the, the the Red Sox need it. <laughs> I guess McCoy is one of the the places where they're they're training the like the the extension squad um, to the the actual major league roster. So you know, selfishly bummed, but it's it's good that baseball is coming back. Uh, we've had some baseball guests on the podcast in recent weeks. Joe Castiglione last week, Scott Fransky, Dwayne Stats the two weeks prior to that. We have Charlie Steiner and Corey Provis coming up over the next couple of weeks as well, so we'll keep you with a baseball theme. Our guest today, though, is my talent coach. Her name is Jill Montgomery, and she is the CEO of Four Leaf Productions, although she has a thing on her desk that says Boss Lady, so I'm going to go with that as a title instead. Uh, But Jill was a really good track athlete in her career, um, both at the collegiate level and beyond. And after that, got into broadcasting, you know, quote-unquote, later in life, and uh, worked your way up all the way to ESPN, Sidelines, College Basketball, Super Tuesday, and uh, various other roles with various other very notable people uh, for the Four Letter Network. So Jill has some interesting perspectives on how she broke into the business, and then certainly her role, who she's worked with, and what she's done in her job at that level. But the other thing that's really interesting to talk to Jill about, and we'll get into this, is what she does now, and that's coaching people and coaching talent in anything, in your on-air presence, in actual calls of games from a play-by-play standpoint. Uh, We've been working together since 
October, November, October-ish. Um, and she's been great. Uh, selfishly, come a long way. Um, if, if I look at kind of my work in that period of time, and, and a lot of that has to do with the time that we have spent together um, tearing some things apart. So uh, if you're interested in learning more about Four Leaf Productions, talent development, things of that nature, fourleafproductions.com, not an ad, uh, check out Jill Montgomery's work. And uh, if you want to hear more before you make that decision, the next half hour should be real informative for you. Jill Montgomery is our guest on episode 186 of Play by Playcast. I had competed for most of my life in track and field, and I, I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster. However, when I made the decision at 36 years old to start a broadcasting <laughs> career, it had been, I knew I wanted to do everything else first and, and, and play around and travel the world and do whatever I needed to do because I knew the second that I actually decided that I wanted to be a broadcaster that it was going to be a full-time gig and a full-time um commitment of my time to go and actually try to achieve it uh so you're you're a you're a world-class track athlete i mean i don't know if i'd say world-class <laughs> <laughs> i've competed at some very world-class uh against some world-class athletes yeah i competed at the u.s level for a long time was your first thought like let me be a, a track analyst or did you not want to get pigeonholed in being that Great question. No, I did not want to get pigeonholed into that. I actually wanted to do high school football. Um, Fox Prime Sports Ticket that doesn't exist anymore was a, a network, and they had a Friday night uh, high school game of the week, and my sole goal was to be the sideline reporter on that gig. I how, never got it. How, <laughs> <laughs> how, how hard was it to make that decision, so to speak? Because I feel like most people would look at it and say, my in is I'm a former athlete. Let me go to my strength there. Why and, and how did you go about saying, I'm going to go in this direction? I, I knew that I had an in as far as the knowledge of track and field. However, track and field is not mainstream. Most people see it once every four years at the Olympic Games. <laughs> um, unfortunately, no Olympics this year. Um, but the, I, I needed to expand my knowledge. I wanted to do football and basketball, and I had a very good knowledge of basketball. Actually, not a lot of people know this. I actually played basketball and had some pretty hefty D1 scholarship offers to play hoops um, to college, but I chose track because I knew I would go further. So I knew I had some knowledge in hoops, but I really wanted to do football. Um, so I studied and, and I, I said, well, I've got the track to fall back on. But again, it's not mainstream. So I really tried to educate myself on other sports. But the main the main thing that helped me, to be honest with you, is I hired Lou Riggs, who was a talent development coach in Los Angeles. That's how I got into all of this. That's what I was going to say is, is uh, homegirl got to eat at 36 years old. <laughs> homegirl had two jobs. To, <laughs> homegirl worked two jobs. Um, and then worked at uh, El Segundo Community Access Cable, which was run out of El Segundo High School in El Segundo, California. And I, I was paid eight bucks an hour. It was the smallest of the small, and they still exist, and they're amazing. Chris Lay was my boss, um, and he really allowed me to do a lot of things. Dan O'Toole is still there, actually, and he was the general manager. And they let me come in and literally pretend that it was ESPN. Anything I wanted to do, produce, write, 
I said, well, we're going to do sideline reporting on Friday nights. They're like, we don't have a sideline reporter. I'm, and I said, you do now. <laughs> and I just made it happen. I was it, the hunger for me to get to that next level, even now, more than a dozen years into my career. Um, I, I've never lost. And that I think is what's huge is it, it just propelled me. And no matter what I needed to do, no one was going to tell me no. And I, I, like I said, I worked two other jobs so that I could pay for my talent development coach and, and sacrificed weekends with my friends, trips to Vegas to go and do this. Um, what's the most important thing you learned early on that has still been relevant to you at this point in life? You have, you have to be yourself. You 1000% have to be yourself. You cannot try to be somebody else. You cannot try to emulate anybody else. You have to be you. I, I had to find the best Jill Montgomery and go give it to them. Uh, where do people, or what about that do people most get wrong today? I think seeing, seeing what they see on television um, in the broadcasters that they see in these network jobs and they, they say, well, they, they're doing it this way, so I need to do it that way. Um, and, and I think that that's where they falter, is they're, they're trying to emulate somebody that is already taken. Um, you know, I, as, as you know, Joel, I develop a lot of play-by-play men across the country, and you can't be Dan Schulman. Dan Schulman's already taken. Gus Johnson's already taken. And the reason why those two men are so incredible at their job is because they are themselves, so you have to be and find and be super comfortable in your own skin to create your own character and be yourself so much that you can now give all of these networks, agents, professional teams a look at something that they haven't seen before. Uh, how long did that take for you to figure out to be comfortable in your own skin? It, it it was funny. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I'm 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 pretty comfortable in my own skin <laughs> across the board. <laughs> um, however, I because I started so late in my career, I didn't know anything about broadcasting. I had never been in front of the camera. I was not a broadcast journalism major, and again, I was 36 when I decided I was going to go be a sports broadcaster. And everybody told me I was nuts. For me to be comfortable in my own skin, I just really focused on my storytelling and used my athletic background and just my knowledge and my relationships with the coaches and the athletes that I interviewed and talked with and researched to be able to let my personality and just that comfortability-ness of being genuine do the work for me. And, and it took a minute just because I didn't have any fundamentals. I mean, I was horrible when I started. And, and again, and everybody telling me, you're never going to make it. You're insane. Like, what are you doing? And I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And I focused on it. But for me, getting to that, not trying to be perfect stage all the time and being comfortable in my own skin, you know, it it took me a minute. It, It took me probably a solid year before I was like, oh, now I get it. Is there something that happened or clicked when you you made it, so to speak? Like, what was the what was the piece that fell in line when, um, not that when you got to that next level, but that helped you get to that next level? My talent development coach, one thousand percent. I and I, I can't. God rest his soul. Lou Riggs was 
the catalyst to why I am where I am right now, not only in my broadcasting career, but with my talent development company as well. Had I never hired Lou, I never, and I'm telling you, Joel, never in a million years would be sitting where I'm sitting right now. He, he, he made a phone call to, to El Segundo and said, Hey, I've got this girl who wants to do this. And, you know, and they, they just let you come in and do everything. But going back to him week in and week out. And, and this was before FaceTime. There was no digital anything. I had to drive to Simi Valley, California with my little burned DVD that I edited myself and sit in his living room and let him rip me apart every single week. And I was relentless about it. And that, that was the catalyst. There was no aha moment where somebody saw me magically on TV. It wasn't like that. Um, I grounded out pretty hard for, for a while and, and kept doing my reel and updating my reel and going back and getting help. And how can I interview better? How can I, how can I say this tighter? How can I be more detailed? And then just kept contacts, the people that I was reaching out to at, at different networks. I didn't have an agent, different networks and people I knew and and people I knew in the sports world. Can you make a call for me? And this and that. And I just kept, it was a process, but there was no aha moment. It was just the work that I ground out the whole time. Let's dive into the nuts and bolts of it. Um, Sideline reporting is the thing you've done most. Is that a fair assessment at this point? Yeah. I mean, I would say half and half now. Um, when I very first started again, back to the El Segundo community access cable days, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was a sideline reporter. And yes, there there is footage out there of that. There is footage out there of that that is absolutely hysterical. I was just a sideline reporter. But then what I did is I went to Dan O'Toole and Chris Lay at the, at the station. I said, well, why don't we host a sports talk show? I'll write it. I'll produce it called a couple of my professional athlete friends in LA and said, Hey, can you guys come into the studio? I want to host. So I, I, I didn't even know how to host. I just was trying to do all these different things. Sidelining though was what I did most of my career. My first big job was at NBC as an analyst, however, and that was the track and field thing. Then I had um, luckily had some amazing contacts that put me in touch with ESPN um, Neil Everett is is a huge catalyst of my career. Um, put my put my reel on Ed Placey's desk at ESPN and ended up talking with Ed and he didn't hire me. Ed didn't hire me. He, he just talked to me and I'm like, well, I want to work for you, dude. Um, and and I just kept going back. If, and, and if we if, back. if we call him dude, that's that's probably ill advised. Right. Ill advised to call him dude. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. Much respect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but that was my thought pattern at the time. I was like, man, I want to work for this dude. And and how do I do that? And it's just you 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 get all these these different avenues of all this stuff jumbled. And how do I channel it and make sure that I, I get in the right place? And there is no right or wrong path. Everybody's path is different. But my that was my path as I kept in touch and developed relationships and cultivated relationships. And I was relentless in that pursuit. But what I make, what I kept the whole time was just honing my craft and getting better, but learning how to host. And then the sideline reporting thing came into play, and that was my first gig at ESPN. We'll get into the uh, the relentless pursuit in a in a second. But from a sideline perspective, and give me the give me the play by play perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Best practices to best utilize, incorporate, and be the best friend to your sideline reporter. Um, what's the what's the way that that interaction should happen between the play-by-play and the sideline reporter yes i think that depending on you you if you work with the same person all the time or you don't 
always call them ahead of time, well ahead of time, and, and do some research on them. Know where they've been. Know who they are. Know what they've called. See if you have a common thread that is in that, that you can talk about. And then now talk about the game you're going to call or the event that you're going to call. What do they know versus what do you know? And how, how can you add value to what they are going to call? I think the biggest mistake that broadcasters make is trying to prove too much what they know. I'm going to be, oh, I'm going to prove how much I know instead of working together to tell an incredible story by continuously just adding value to each other. One of the ways that you find, um, you know, Quint Kesnick has been on this podcast and he said his, his job is always finding something Sean McDonough won't. Um, yeah. What are the ways that you went about finding something that very talented people you've worked with uh, wouldn't find? Yeah, my very first gig at ESPN, my play-by-play was Dave O'Brien. My analyst was Dan Dockage. On my other games, my play-by-play was Brent Musburger and Dick Vitale. So you're wor- I, I step into a job where I'm working with legends. Um, they know everything about everything. When we would go to shoot around, I'm, I'm sitting there with my little notebook. having. I'm like, I've got five questions for Tom Izzo. I need to get them asked. And him and Brent and Dickie B are talking about nothing. <laughs> shooting the shit about the 70s and the stuff that happened in the 80s. And I'm sitting there going, I need to get my questions in. I need to get my questions in. Been so there. What, yeah. What, what, yeah. What I did was I took my athletic background and I took a different approach to it on how I always thought, What's everybody talking about? Well, they're talking about this. How do I go find an angle of that that nobody's talking about? And that's where I did my research is, okay, yeah, they're talking about player A. Player A is getting talked about for these stats, these stats, these stats. Well, what I wanted to know is how did he get there? Was there other people involved, his mom, a school teacher? What was the behind the scenes story that was the, the mental aspect to get him to the physical aspect? Or if it was a team, how, how did they get through crises? Where was the, the every team in this world that has ever been successful had a lot of crappy times. I would try to go find an angle of that that I could build off of and then add to the broadcast. Um, what made Brent and or OB uh, really, really good? Man, they, here's the thing. Dave O'Brien, I was very lucky to have him as my very first play-by-play because he actually, he wanted to see me succeed. And he would come to me after games and go, Jilly, you know, just quit trying to prove how much you know about basketball. And and there were things because, I, you know, you're the only girl. And in, in when I started back then, it, there was not what we had now as far as women in sports. And for me... OB was an encyclopedia. I would just listen to how he would call games. And when I stopped trying to just bring in what I went and researched and listen to him actually call the game, and then I'd be like, oh, I can add on that. Or, oh, I can take an angle of what OB just said. And then I would really try to add more value that way. With Musburger, it was just Brent is... is Hey, kid, how's it going? What's going on? Brent Musburger and I are from the same town in in Montana, Billings, Montana. So when he found that out, he came up to me. He's like, hey, kid, I did some research on you. you I know you're a Montana girl. I just, where are you from? I couldn't find where you graduated. And I said, Billings. And he about fell on the floor. (laughs) And with Brent, 
Brent just wanted everybody to just flow well. He 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 didn't have an ego, at least when I worked with him. I he just he's like, hey man, I'm just gonna come in and do my thing. What you got? What do you got? How can we help you? Um play by play analyst relationships are mm-hmm. best when they blank. Dance. When they dance together. I think the best play-by-play and analyst work is where the timing of it is like a very well choreographed dance and it looks effortless. It's when there is knowledge versus timing versus respect in a game that you're calling where the play-by-play drives the bus and, and tells us who's doing what, the analyst tells us why, but the way that they interact with each other is almost like finishing each other's sentences and they know when to get in and when to get out and then teeing up off of each other to discuss further the elements that are relevant happening in the game. Um, how do you cultivate those? How, or what's been the... Like, I don't know if there is a best practices, but, but what, what creates those best relationships? Communication. I also it, it, humility. It, I don't. I, it, I, I, yeah, I was just going to get there. I think also just the respect of what each role brings to that game, and not having any ego. Um, it's it's difficult sometimes in our world. Um, I've worked with some pretty big egos, and and I've developed some pretty big egos. Um, and, and what you have to do is you, you always have to go back to communication and it's just like, Hey man, listen, we're in this together and what you bring to the table and what I bring to the table are the two elements that make that perfect dance that I was just describing. And also talking beforehand, just just knowing your stuff. You've got to know your stuff in this business in every single role. And if, if there's a lack on one person's side, can the other person pick up that slack? Maybe. But you have to talk, and you've got to just you, you've you've got to really really have a lot of respect for each other. Um, how much prep would you put in for a game when you talk about knowing your stuff? When did you know that Ooh. you knew? But like, and not just like hours, but I mean, like, when did you know you knew your stuff? Because I think a lot of times we all say like, well, I put in this much time, but mm-hmm. what does that mean? Like, what did you need to do to know that you were confident in what you were about to broadcast? I need to feel that I can talk about any aspect of what's actually going to happen. You know the action that's going to happen. If you take down a basketball game, I know that I'm going to have an open and I'm going to talk about A, B, or C. However, um, if I have an open that I've, I've discussed with my play-by-play and my analysts, it's like, hey, I want to talk about this, you know, whatever happens. Well, let's say that there's all of a sudden, right before I do my open, something happens in that game. And... Now my open is no longer relevant. I've got 90 seconds to prepare for the fact that Izzo just pulled one of his starters. Well, why? I have to find that out right away. And now my open becomes that. And now it, it, it gets added value because why is this an impact on the game? Shortly before, yeah, this is what happens. So knowing your stuff, yes, you can prepare ahead of time for, for most of your game. But the ability, I believe, for any broadcaster, I don't care who you are, play-by-play, analysts, um, reporters, even a host, the ability to be able to prepare something in two minutes versus two days 
is what sets you apart from other people. And you've got to be able to just go down to the who, what, when, where, why, how, get as extremely detailed as possible, but also now tell it in the shortest amount of words as you can. Um, mentioned Quint earlier from a sideline perspective, and mm-hmm. we, we had a discussion when he was on about like innovative ways to tell stories, and he was breaking down, I think it was the University of Washington, their football team's non-conference schedule, and he literally used cupcakes. Um, like physical cupcakes to say like this yeah. is what their schedule looked like and um, Jason Horwitz I think it was like they were he and Tim Doyle were calling a game where the cheer team was the number one cheer team in the country and like Horowitz was like in their pyramid and they filmed that and it was like are there are there things that you have done throughout your career that stick with you that were memorable ways that you told a story beyond just you holding a mic in front of the camera Yes, I was on an Alabama football game one year, and I was on it with Mike Morgan and Chris Doring. And Alabama was beating the hell out of whoever they were playing. I can't remember who they were playing. And there was a restaurant that's called Ramajamas. And all of a sudden, my producer comes in my ear, and he's like, hey, Jill, go to the, the whatever south end zone he said um one of the pas has some stuff you're going to do a hit on this restaurant i'm like wait what (laughs) well there was a they have a national championship blt Mm. and they have a national championship cheeseburger and i had to pick one that i was going to do the story on and i had to literally eat it on air and i thought my producer was out of his mind he's like jill will you do this and i said what and I, I said, like, for real, like, eat this thing on, like, live TV. And the so I picked the BLT because it, it wasn't as messy as the cheeseburger. <laughs> However, that thing was about 12 inches thick. And so I do the hit. I'm holding the mic underneath my arm. I do the hit. I take the <laughs> sandwich. And I literally, I... I have a little teeny mouth. Okay, contrary to how loud I am, I have this little teeny bird mouth. And I try to wrap my mouth around this sandwich on live television during an Alabama football game on ESPN. And I take a bite of this sandwich and I'm trying not to get it all over me. Well, then what was even more horrifying is because we had so much time, my producer comes in my ear and he says, I'm so sorry, but we have to do this. They, they slow-mo and telestrate it back. And Mike Morgan and Chris Doring replay me eating this sandwich and you hear Chris say look at how she unhinges her jaw right here and he circles it on screen and I was absolutely mortified but I got so many um, comments people reached out to me they're like that's one of the best things we've seen on TV so I think that the more the more ability you have to let yourself go and and show that amazing personality to get a to get a story done whether it's racing to a hospital at 10 o'clock at night with a camera guy because, you know, whatever, Joe Burrows breaks his leg and you want to be, you know, whatever you're willing to do to make sure that your story stands out and it's something that they haven't seen before, I think is is what helps you be successful. Do you have any, uh, this might qualify, uh, are there any horror stories of things you've tried to do that have just gone terribly wrong? Yes, um, I was doing um, a, a, a Super Tuesday college basketball, and I was it was like my second game or third game in, and I was still new, and I didn't know anybody, and and I just was trying to be perfect and you know do the thing and be blah and just not 
not dialing into just me. Well, it was Purdue at Ohio State. Matt Painter uh, coaching Purdue, Bo Ryan coaching, or excuse me, Wisconsin. It was Purdue at Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and Bo Ryan was coaching at Wisconsin. Well, I knew I was going to take Coach Painter on the walk-off at half. Whether they were winning or not, I was taking him. So I told his SID, and I, 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 I said, which tunnel are you guys in? And oh, no. he pointed to the opposite tunnel. So I go and position myself with a minute left. And when the horn sounds, Purdue gets up and walks to the opposite corner tunnel. Oh. And there's a wide shot of it. If you find this game and replay this game, you see me in stiletto heels sprinting across the entire middle of that basketball court. And I get Matt right when he is stepping off, like he didn't even stop. I don't know if his SID didn't tell him if there was miscommunication and I'm dead out of breath. And I go and I grab him. I'm like, coach. And he turns around and and they were losing and he turns around and he had already gotten off the floor. He was already in almost halfway into the tunnel and he turns around. He's like, damn it, Jill, you got to tell me about these things. And it just rattled me. And I hear Dave O'Brien go, Jill's with coach painter. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) like out of breath and I'm sitting there I'm like keep your composure keep your composure and 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 Matt wasn't yelling at me he just he was caught off guard and I and they were losing it was that heat of the moment and I and I just had to compose myself and do that interview so that was that was something that was a little scary for me and it's prime time E1 and I'm like shit (laughs) it's like yes factually uh Jill is with Matt Painter right now but beyond that we can't make any promises Yeah, and I tried, and 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 I watched it back, and it it wasn't as bad as that. In that moment, I was so scared. Uh, topic I want to broach with you. You touched on earlier, um, and that is um, creating connections and the way that mm-hmm. you you navigated early in your career, and certainly the way that mm-hmm. everyone tries to do it nowadays. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you and I have had many conversations about this because I am uh, as socially awkward as they come, and I don't like contacting people because I feel like I'm a bother <laughs> to everybody. Um, <laughs> What what is the what is the myth that ex what's one myth that exists about trying to reach out to people and gain a foothold in or or a bigger foothold in this business? I think the myth is that these people that you're reaching out to don't want to help you. I think that's the and that's what causes that fear. It, well, why would they help me? I don't want to bother them. Um these people, the, the network executives that I have worked with, like I said, you know, the the the, the Ed Placies. Uh, when I was at ESPN, it was Ed Placey, Tim Scanlon, um, Miller, um, all of these big coordinating producers. But even after you know the, the the layoffs and the people that I've worked with since, the Chris Farrows, the Mike Moores, the John Vassalos, the Sean Murphys, um, they want you to succeed. They want you to succeed. It's not like any of these people, at, at, you know, Amy Leone at Fox, uh, Dan Steer at NBC, who used to be at ESPN, who, who's the one that hired me. They want you to succeed. They want to help you. And so I think the biggest myth is that, well, I don't want to bother them because, I, you know, I don't want to take up their time. Do take up their time. You have got to have enough of a spine to send an email that is a appropriate and say, Hey, I, I, I just am reaching out to you. I'm interested in, in some feedback. If you have it, I've, I've heard, you know, I know you do this and this and, you know, don't tell them, Oh, I know you're busy. And, you know, could you, they don't want to hear that. Just, just be yourself and say, Hey, 
I am Jill Montgomery and I want to work for your network one day. And I want to know if you have time to look at my reel. And this is, if any feedback you have is great. And sometimes you don't get any feedback and you don't get an answer and that's okay. It doesn't mean they don't like you. They might not have opened it. These agents and network execs, they get a zillion emails a day and 99% of them have to do with their actual job. So the emails that people that are trying to... You mean to tell me that's get, not their job? Yeah, <laughs> to sit there and open up reels every day and, and emails and try to, you know, correspond. But but again, I think that... So that's the biggest myth, I think, is that they, they people get scared that these people don't want to help them. They actually do. Um, what's the best way to send an appropriate one? Like, I think it's Where, where do people go short. wrong in that area? Too long. Too long. Life story. I'm so-and-so and I've done this and I've done this. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. Listen, <laughs> send me an email. Send, it, what I mean by nobody cares is like they don't have time to read that. These people are busy yeah. I, and they are busy. They're running networks. They're running agencies. They're running teams. However, if you have an in, my biggest thing is if you have an in, if you know somebody that knows the person you want to talk to, get it in that way and say, hey, um, Mike Smith is a friend of mine and recommended I reach out to you. I am Jill Montgomery. I've done this. Below is my reel. I would love to work. You know, my dream job is to work for your network. Is there any feedback you can give me? Thank you so much for taking any time. That's it. Keep it short. Um, and But if you blind email somebody, again, keep it short. Don't sit there and tell them how busy they are and that you hope that they can take some time to you know, just say, listen. Stop describing my emails. <laughs> just, just say, hey, listen, I, 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 I know who you are. I respect what you do. Here's my reel. This is what I'm looking for. Any feedback would be great. And, and, and leave it at that. I think that people just try to do way too much. And, and if you don't hear back, that's okay. Hit them up again a month later. I mean, you don't want to email them every three days. Yes, that's a pain in the ass. But if you know the timing of it, and my biggest piece of advice for people that are doing that, keep a spreadsheet. Keep a spreadsheet of who you have reached out to, the date, what you sent, and if you heard back from them. That way you're always on top of it. Um, let's pay some bills if we can uh, yeah. at, at the end here. Um, full disclosure, Jill is, is, is my talent coach. Uh, so when, when, when I broadcast well, when I don't, she's never heard of me. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we, we've been working together for, I don't know, about eight months, nine months now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, not to give away the, the house, but what are like, people ask me sometimes, like, what are things that you're working on right now? And I'm like, well, um, what are, what's one thing or two things that are like a, a minute detail that people don't think about in play by play that they should. Oof, that's a great question. This is, um, this is your chance to reel them in for more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, I could go on all day about this. Um, you've got to call the action. You've got to you've got to describe the action and from where. Um, details. Details are just hugely important. It 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 separates the men from the boys, um, and it's got to be a genuine delivery of those details. It's not Johnson's down in the corner. He dribbles to the right. He does this. He does that. It's not radio, right? It's a, again, go back to the dance example that I gave between the play by play and the analyst. You have got to be able to just have a very innate genuine flow to call your action, but pack it with details so that it draws 
your viewers in with how you build your drama. Uh, how do people find you to, uh, to procure your services if they would like to become better? Um, fourleafproductions.com. That's my website. Um, you know, we've, we've, We've worked with some pretty amazing people and agents and networks in this business developing talent. We do it all the time. I think right now is such a, a, a crazy time of a pause that if you if you think about, hey, where am I right now? Where do I want to go? It may or may not be worth a look. I mean, we 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 have an amazing family, as you know, and 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 actually, I'm I'm, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit if you don't mind. Um, I think that what you have learned. Because of, I remember our, our second session and I, our first one, I was of, vomiting profusely. The, the first one was a wake up <laughs> call for you, but I think that your, the second session was, and I actually even called your agent after it. And I was like, oof. Um, <laughs> did you really? And I, yeah, I did. Oh. Um, you don't know this, but I'll divulge it on <laughs> national radio. Um, so after the second session, I think I kind of handed your ass to you pretty badly on some stuff because I felt you, it, it was it, it not not to, not to your. This isn't about anything negative against you, but it's natural to get defensive when people critique you. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, but I was trying to do this. I was trying to. No, no, no. Shh. You should be quiet. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying, and and that let's tear it apart. And you 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 were really defensive, and I was like, oh man, Joel's not going to come back. Like I I I I, I went there with him. And I, I felt that that session, I was like, man, I'm not going to hear from this kid again because I, I really kind of handed your ass to you on a couple different things, but they made sense. And then when I didn't hear from you for a few weeks and then I called you because you had a little lull in some games, then you came back and we had a session. It was that next session where I really talked about how we started to break down how you built drama better and you were really uncomfortable with it. And I said, just trust me. Just go try it in this next game. And then when we watched that next game back, it was gold. And from then on, you and I became what I call here family. We became close. We, you, you started to try. And then from there, it was just wildfire. And so that's that's what we do. And, and it's, it's, it's harsh, man. It's harsh to have somebody tear you apart. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> I called Kim. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I, I called your agent and I said, "Ooh, I said, I, I said, I, I think I was, I think Joel might not come back." I said, "I, I said I was a little rough on him," and she's like, "Really?" And I said, "Yeah." She's like, "He'll be all right." And it, it, you know, it, it, it was just something that I knew that you have to in this business. Again, it's a relationship, and like any relationship, you've got to trust who you're working with, and you've got to trust where you're going because what sucks about our business is that it's subjective. And everybody is going to have something negative to say about anybody on air. And it's really easy to believe the negative stuff over the good stuff. And what we try to do here is limit the things that we could get torn apart about and really push all of the amazing details and writing and delivery and storytelling things that we can be more polished on. Um, well, on that note, uh, glad, glad we hung in there with each other. Uh, <laughs> I am too. It's it's and 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 I don't know who listens to this, but it's you, <laughs> your your yeah. your your success and and your improvement is amazing. And I think again, I've put you in touch with some certain people in this business that have given you some some feedback on that that I think makes you feel you know pretty dang good about where you're at. Jill, thanks. You bet, buddy. 
Many thanks to Jill Montgomery for joining us. Episode 186 of PXPCast. I did not know that the end of that was coming when that happened. I didn't think it was... I don't think I was that shell-shocked in our first meeting. Like, there was a lot coming at me, but I... I, I intended to go through with it the whole time. I maybe I just I had a good poker face. I don't I don't know, but uh, it uh it worked out. So I'm glad that glad that we all stuck through that one together. Uh, again, thanks to Jill for coming on. Uh, Corey Provis, Charlie Steiner, Bob McGilligan. I think is the fourth ever hockey guest we will have on this podcast. Uh, the voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Bob McGilligan's going to come up at some point here soon as well. So uh, keep it locked in your podcast feed. We will talk to you next Friday. This is PXPCast. The music here is from Marshmallow. My name is Joel Gadet, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.